Do you want me to yell into the microphone? Yeah, that's actually better. <laughs> I can't maintain that loud. I can't, I can't maintain, I can't maintain the volume of my voice. <laughs> that's the intro. I knew you were going to say for. that. <laughs> what we're looking oh for. Oh my gosh. Looking for something. I guess. It's recorded now. I know it is. So is this like going to be an official podcast with like a the actual intro? I guess yeah. it is if we're not in the car, so. It can't be a car cast. It could still be a bonus episode, though. But no, this is the regular episode. It's an office cast? I, I guess. Do you have to label it depending on where we are? I think so. The hop! <laughs> oh my gosh. He's trying to play footsie with me. Just telling people what's going on over here. You've got to quit. <laughs> Why? It's not like they can see us. No, but I'm not going to be able to focus. <laughs> <laughs> so, we doing this intro? Do you like the intro? I don't love it, but I think we need one. I think we should start it like the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast, which means we need an announcer voice. This is the Lost But Holding Hands Podcast with Tim and Amy Zach, where they discuss Catholic things and other stuff and kids and other stuff. <laughs> You're going to have to write it down or something. I just think the other stuff is funny. <laughs> anyway. This is the Lost But Holding Hands Podcast, where they discuss stuff. <laughs> That's appropriate. <laughs> So what are we going to do here? I don't know. But I think it should include what our podcast is, what episode it is, and our names. Now I feel really... You can do it like five times. I'll just edit it out. (laughs) Okay. Welcome to the Last But Holding Hands podcast. This is episode five. We're Tim and Amy Zach. You did the announcer voice. I did. (laughs) Why did you do the announcer voice? I don't know. All right. Uh, cause now I can't think of it. Now I can't hear anything else in my head. The Lost But Holding Hands podcast <laughs> well, with Tim and Amy Zach. Well, I love the like mountain men announcer voice because it's like, on a, if it was like me and be like, here's another episode where, you know, Marty walks through the woods for like 15 miles, but it's like, Marty walks through the woods in the snow for 15 miles and he might die again. <laughs> but you know he won't because there's another episode. Right. <laughs> And that would be really sad because we like Marty. Well, I like all of them, but yeah. Well, yes, but you were talking about Marty. <laughs> I so know. I right. I wasn't singling him out saying we don't like the others. I was just simply saying mm. we like Marty and we want well, him to live. Tom is my favorite. We like Tom too. Tom and Nancy, I think Nancy. it is. We haven't watched that show in a long time, but it was good. So. They probably done moved to Florida by now. I don't think so. The last time I checked, which was maybe a year ago because I am a mountain man stalker, um, they were still... Like, up north. They just keep threatening to go to Florida and make it interesting? I think so. Um, you want me to just do it? Yes. Please. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm leaving white space so I can find this oh. tonight. I wonder what's causing all that noise on the microphone. I don't know, but I have a sudden urge to make a fart noise. That's definitely making it in the intro. That's going to be the very last thing. That's a wrap. I have a sudden urge to make a fart noise. That's going to be the best. <laughs> Go for it. For people who make it all the way to the end, they get a little present. <laughs> I want to go to bed at some point. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
Stu's thing. I'm going to tee it up. You're going to read the question. And then we're just going to talk. Okay. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Got it? Mm-hmm. Cool? Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to Lost But Holding Hands, episode five. I'm Tim, and I'm here with my wife, Amy. Hello. And we are back after what seems like uh, kind of too long, almost. Uh, it's taken a little while for us to get this podcast going. We've had a lot of busy stuff going on. It's been kind of like a busy start to the spring, um, I guess kind of the end of spring towards summer. Um, summer hit with full force. We've been doing a lot of things. Had a good um, Holy Week and Easter, and that sort of like kicked off. Um a lot of busyness for us. So uh, we're back, which is pretty exciting. And I'm kind of excited about this podcast because, well, for two reasons. I think the topic's going to be really fun. And the fact that it's a listener question is also kind of cool because that means we actually have listeners who care enough to ask questions. Or at least listener. But we know your mom listens too, so we have listeners. That's true. We've got at least two or three people who listen on pretty regular. No, (laughs) stoked about it. So um, I think it's cool that there's like some back and forth because... um, yeah, that's one of the things that's a little bit weird about being the podcast is we're just over here talking and people listen to it like some amount of time later and they are not like talking with us. We're just talking to this pretty silver microphone and we have no idea what people are thinking. So I appreciate uh, the comments. Um, and, you know, as always, you know, you can comment on Facebook. You can uh, hit us up wherever you see the podcast in terms of like, you know, Google, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all those places wherever we are, and then also um, the email address we have set up, which is last but holding hands podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I should have written that down ahead of time, but oh well, it's all good, right? So this we'll uh, link to it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes, which if you didn't know there were show notes, we always link to things in show notes um, and include the books that we talk about and um, all the just other things that we can link to that you can go see. Some of the programs we've talked about, a lot of books. Uh, mostly books and different things like that. So you can go buy the books we talk about or at least check them out and that kind of thing. If you're ever interested in the show notes, we try to, Amy does a good job of kind of pulling that together and um, being useful. So yeah, um, you want to just, I guess we can jump right in. Uh, maybe we just read the question from Facebook. Um, it's actually from Instagram. From Instagram. <laughs> so uh, a friend wrote in and said, um, trying to find where her question actually starts. She said, would love for Tim to, to talk about, as a choleric, what pulled him to do the study and what he likes from you as far as encouragement in his faith. My choleric doesn't like suggestions. Um, and in case it matters, we did get permission to use this question. Um, and so I, I kind of just want to preface this with when we had this conversation, I came to you, or, or I came to you and I, I told you this question, and then... Um, your first initial response was cholerics don't like suggestions. And that kind of petered around in my brain for a couple days. And I came to you and I was like, that just seems really arrogant. Like that, that like you, you don't, you aren't open for suggestions or whatever. Like, I was like, what's the deal? And then you pitched back me. You're like, you don't like being told what to do. Nobody likes being told what to do. And I kind of was like, huh? yeah, I guess I don't like being told what to do. And then my brain went to, well, now I kind of understand our three-year-old better. But, um, and so that, so we kind of have this question and, but then we sort of have like the between the lines question. So can you uh, first answer, so she says, um, talk about the study, what pulled him to do the study? So I'm not sure if she means the Exodus 90 study that you're doing or if she meant the, um, what's the other one you're doing? 
the wake up warrior. Yeah, so I would assume because she said study that she's talking about Exodus 90 because that's more of like a Bible study kind of thing. Right. Um, I'm just assuming. But um, really doesn't matter. And just so everybody knows, um, Exodus 90 is actually over. So I am taking hot showers now. And I appreciate them. I appreciate the cups of coffee and the hot showers. He's and come home jittery a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's complete aside. But started Exodus 90, um, you know, 90 days before Easter, um, and then 90 days pass. And at the end of that, not only had I not really had um, much more than a sip of alcohol um, or any coffee or caffeine in 90 days, but I'd also lost about 20 pounds. So I was about um, 90% of the human that I was when I started Exodus 90 and hadn't had any caffeine. So if you ever do that, just a word of advice, you know, maybe like start slow because, um, yeah, drinking a box of, little carton of cold brew coffee with 235 milligrams of caffeine on Easter was probably not the best reintroduction. <laughs> Although, you know, again, a complete aside, but the, the Exodus 90 program, it talks about, you know, when you break the fast and when you kind of come back to all of these things, right? It's like to really remember them and to think about what they do for you and to think about how um, how they make you feel and, and to appreciate that, right? And so like, you know, don't just mindlessly eat a cookie, but but appreciate that cookie for what it is and, and take a moment and, and mindfully eat it and enjoy it for what it is. And the same with coffee. And I will say that I absolutely enjoyed that coffee. The, the caffeine was a complete um, aside and a bit of an unintended consequence. But it's all good, right? So <laughs> so back to the question. So why did I pick Exodus 90 or what attracted me to it? Um, it's kind of like a weird thing to think about a little bit because the facts of the situation are my buddy Mark, we played in the church band together. I was walking out and he said, Hey man, I'm thinking of doing this was maybe like, uh, like early December, um, two years ago. He said, Hey man, thinking about doing this program. It's called Exodus 90. I found it cause I was looking up some stuff about fasting and I thought it would be a good program, but the program is like kind of a community thing. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. So I'm looking for some guys to do it with me. If you want to do it with me, um, you know, I'd love to have you as part of my group. And Oh, by the way, it's pretty intense. So you might want to like actually look into it before, you know, you say yes, yeah, just because, you know, it's going to require something of your family and it's going to require some, you know, a lot of you and, you know, and he's like, and I totally understand if it's just not good timing for you because it's kind of got a lot of stuff. So to which I immediately respond, yeah, I'm in. Didn't look at it. And to which I also didn't really even look at it until like December, the last day of December when I was about to start the next day just to figure out what I was supposed to go do. Like I, I bought the book and stuff because he, he gave me the website. And then, you know, I flipped to the first page uh, just to try to figure out what I was supposed to do tomorrow. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a lot. But, but I think the heart of the question is like, you know, what, like, is there, was there something about it that like attracted me as like a choleric? And I've kind of been like, like thinking about this. I mean, I guess Amy, you know, read this question to me uh, like a long time ago. I mean, several weeks ago. And I've been kind of like, like thinking about it, noodling on it uh, from here and there. And, and I was thinking about like, what, is there something about the program? And, and I really don't, I really don't know. Um, the guys that I've done it with, I would, are all over the place in terms of like their temperaments. They're all, I, I bet probably all the temperaments were in one of the two groups. Um, and I think it affects us differently. Um, but I think what really more than anything, I don't know that it was like a temperament thing for me as much as it was, um, just a need for community. Um, I think, you know, had a really strong community in high school 
Catholic community had a really like at least as strong, if not stronger community in college, although it was a little bit different, but it was, but it was a, a super strong group of people. Um, even when we started our young adult life after we got married, had kind of plugged into like a really strong community, um, not just as like a couple, but as individuals and had, had a lot of friends and just a lot of people to, to just talk about things with and sort of struggle with the faith together with. Um, and then sort of once we had kids, um, and this isn't really an excuse, but I think it's something that we experience and that we know other people who have experienced. Like once you have kids, the logistics of getting together, as anybody who has kids knows, gets a little bit different and it's it gets a little bit hard. much more complicated, yeah. And I think because of that, it just because it was harder to get together, um, and it's still harder to get together with a three-year-old and a six-year-old and with friends who have three-year-olds and six-year-olds and, you know, and more, um, once you start to, to mix all those schedules and needs for naps and stuff together, it just becomes hard. And so some of it starts to, to float away. So when, you know, when Mark asked me and I found out there was like a meeting component, I looked at him and I said, look, man, this is what we're going to have to do. I said, we're going to have to figure out a way to make it not impactful to the family. Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. And, and I was like, well, this is actually kind of cool. We're actually creating community designed around our stage of life which I thought ended up being a cool thing, meta thing for me to think about, is that so much of the reason why we didn't have the community we wanted was because there were communities out there that were created, that we didn't create, but that were created that we could be involved in, but they weren't created or designed with our specific needs in mind, right? right? And so when me and Mark got together, and we were the first two, and there was a couple other guys, and we all sort of had this same need to figure out how to do this without without majorly impacting our families, um, we did it. We just said, you know what? The thing we can control is morning time, and we're just going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and we're just going to be home before before the kids need, before our wives need help cooking breakfast and before the kids wake up and need us. And, you know, Amy will attest, we weren't super great at always getting back, but even when we were kind of late, which these meetings tended to run, um, we were still back in plenty of time for the day to be what it was. And there were plenty of times when the guy, when one or, or more of us had to really hard stop and had to cut out and we still had plenty of time as a group. So that was kind of on another side, but I think one of the things that was like really a learning from that experience is like, there's nothing stopping us from engineering what we need to have our community because there's other people out there and there might only be two or three, right? But all you need is, is a couple of people. There, there might only be two or three people out there, but there's two or three people out there who have your same wacky schedule and your same kid problems and all the same stuff that you guys can sync up with and, and create a community experience that works for whatever weird, wacky, crazy, busy sort of weird schedule that you have. You just have to find the other people who happen to like overlap in your world. Well, and I, I that's one of my favorite things that I think came out of Exodus 90, not this year, but the last year, because I feel like you doing that program was the launching pad. Is that the right phrase? Jumping board? Jumping pad? Something? Just all the idioms. All, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Um, for us in our current season of life, intentionally seeking community that worked. And, and like you said, I mean, I was constantly looking for things through the church and, and other things, and I, and I kept running into programs that were there but just weren't, um, you know, really set up to to nourish our family in our season of life and stuff like that. And so um, I think what was cool was because you were getting fed through your community of guys, 
you were really encouraging of me to go seek that during that time. Um, and that was really the start of a big change for our family was you and I got much more intentional about having our communities. And, um, and that really, I, I think at least for me, that really fed me in a way that allowed me to come back and be more of wife and be more of mom and, and everything like that. And so, um, so I was really grateful for that. That's what came out of it. So something that you said is really interesting, I think to me, um, and we'll come back to the question and it's a bit of a bunny trail, but it's a good one there. So in the Exodus program, um, and we, my, both of my groups experienced this, but they talked about how, um, you might experience in your group, in your little community, in your fraternity of guys, you might experience um, a bit of like a spiritual connectedness where when one guy is struggling or if one guy is, is just failing the disciplines, that the it's harder on the other guys. Hmm. And it sounds kind of wacky and it sounds kind of like weird and and we all kind of blew it off when we first read like the, the first part of the book and they sort of like set up the program, mm-hmm. like we read it and we remembered it, but we just sort of blew it off. And then when, when we, part of the weekly meetings, it's just sort of like talking about how the last week went mm-hmm. and time after time, after time, somebody would say, man, Thursday was really hard. And somebody else will pop up and go, yeah, it was weird because I didn't have, you know, somebody would say Thursday was really hard because X, Y, or Z thing happened. And it made it hard for me. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else would say, yeah, I had a really basic day, but I just struggled all day hmm. and stuff like that. And it would happen. And it would, it happened where enough. it would overlap. Yeah. And, yeah. and the days would overlap or even sometimes the times would overlap mm-hmm. and it would happen enough where we, it sort of encouraged us to start to text each other when like in the middle of that stuff. And it would always sort of like line up and it was a really kind of a, a cool That's thing. Cool. Um, but to your point about us. I think that there's like a, so that was like a real thing between a group of people who created community, you know, and they say, or they say, God says, where two or three are gathered mm-hmm. in my name, there I am in, in their midst, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about that and there's this, there's a bond that happens when that, when that occurs and those two or three people, and we were just two or three people with both of these exodus groups, um, three or four people technically. But I think the, um, but what was, what I think is even stronger is when you think about like our marriage bond mm-hmm. and what that means. Of course, like, you know, I think about like the different parts of the body metaphor and how when one part gets sick, the other parts get sick too, right? And I think about sort of the same thing, right? It, it, and it works both ways. So like if we're one body, if, if this part, my part, I'm pointing at myself that no one can see. <laughs> if this part, my part is sick, well, that's going to affect Amy's part because yeah. we're one. And if this part gets stronger and better well, then that part's going to get stronger and better too. And, and it's like a real thing. I think one of the things that's come become really... Well, we definitely really... saw that for our family was that you sort of started taking off in, in sort of all areas of your life um, because it kind of touches on all areas, and which then I follow, and then the, like we all kind of followed behind. Yeah, and let's like be super clear about it. Like, because w- everything you're doing is nothing that I'm doing. So it's not like... I started working out and then you started coming to do that workout with me. Right. Yeah. It's like the, the, there's totally separate. Yeah. And I don't even know that, I mean, you could say right or wrong, but I don't even know that anything that I'm actually literally doing in my day is even inspiring any of the actual things that you're doing. It's not that kind of, it's not like you're, you're following along and saying, Oh, you know, 
Tim is is doing X, Y, or Z, so I'm going to try that too, and that made me that made it better for me. It's it's a it's a looser connection than that. Yeah. And I think it's really important because what it is is it's. Well, and actually, I think the times that I have tried that, where it was trying to just like follow behind and and do like whatever workout you were doing or whatever, like it just it hasn't really worked. Yeah, and so, um, so one of the things that I think is really real and has become really real to me in re- fairly recent history, I don't know exactly what the time frame is, but fairly recent history is that this stuff is really real. Hmm. It's like, it's real. Like the, the connection that we have is real. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think demands to be respected. Yeah. Because what I'm doing it affects you, obviously. It affects you because we're married, we live in the same house, you have to deal with me on a regular basis, and it affects you that way. Right. But it affects you layers deeper than that, too. Yeah. Not to the exclusion of either one, yeah. but that it really affects you. Like when this part of the body is sick, that part of the body really gets sick. Mm-hmm. Really does. Well, you have know? you seen any of like, those game shows... Um, I, I I can picture it in my head, but I can't think of the name of it. Where there's just about like you know challenges. It's like when when you have a team and one team member is just dragging, it just drags the whole team down, you know. But it but it, it can also be depending on how they work together that the whole team can strengthen and 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 get that weaker person inspired or whatever it is that they need to actually you know keep moving. But um. But it, you can see the effect of it. I'm going to go out on a limb here um, since there's nobody around to, to throw stones at me. But I think that it's, I think it's even different from my point of view. So um, look, a book we can link to. It's called Extreme Ownership uh, by Jocko Willink. No idea if I said his name right. It has a TED Talk, too. You could look it up, Extreme Ownership. But he's, a, um, I guess, a Navy SEAL. I think it's maybe one of those things where like once you're a Navy SEAL, you're always a Navy SEAL, not like a former Navy SEAL. I don't think he's... Uh, active duty anymore but regardless um did some tours um overseas you know was deployed led teams and one of the cool things in that book and there's a lot of cool stories um in that book i think um i read it really fast because i read it on a plane to and from uh the other coast so it was kind of cool because the stories are all sort of like wrapped up in his experience at war and so it almost when you read it that fast and straight through it's almost like like watching a war movie or something. So it's, oh, yeah. it's pretty entertaining and it's engaging, but it's also really profound. But one of the things that they talked about was that, um, at basic training, um, you know, people team up and what they, um, they always have like competitions and there's always consequences. There's always positive and negative consequences. You want to be the winner and you don't want to be the loser because the winners oftentimes get to like sit out the next event and the losers have to do extra stuff and then still go compete again. And so, in one of his experiences as a leader in this basic training camp, they had these teams and there was one team that was just dominating everybody all the time. And there was one team that would just lose, 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 lose. And they were getting so worn out and so discouraged that they were like, that the instructors started to say, well, maybe we should do something. We're not going to like give them a pass, but maybe we should do something. And so what they did was, and I'm probably jacking up the details of the story a little bit, but the, the point is here. So what they did was they took the leader of, and each team self-appoints a leader. So there's a person in basic training who's the leader of the team. As part of the little six-man team, they just appoint the leader. And so what they did was they took the person who was appointed leader of the winning team and the person that was appointed leader of the team that was always losing, and they swapped. 
And it was kind of interesting because um, the team that lost, the winning team that lost their leader, the way that they described him said that the team was kind of okay. Mm-hmm. They were a little bit sad to see their comrade get not be on their team anymore, but they sort of still felt confident. They felt like they could win. And the leader um, who left that team felt a sense of purpose on the losing team and also felt confident and was, you know, ready to, to go help to lead that other team. And he said that the team um, leader who moved on to the winning team sort of felt like entitled. Um, and what ended up happening is the team that was always winning stopped winning all the time and started just winning some of the time. And the team that never won at all started to win some of the time. And the, the kind of moral of the story was that there aren't uh, bad teams, only bad leaders. Hmm. So, I, so I tell this whole roundabout story to connect back with what you were saying. I think for me as a guy in this relationship, as the husband, as the man, as the leader, I take it even one step further and say that it's not just about being a good teammate. My, my job isn't just isn't enough to just be a sufficient teammate, although I agree with you. If one person in the team, in any team, is dragging the team, it, it, it hurts the whole team. Absolutely agree with you. But I think that, especially sort of from my seat, it's that's not even sufficient to just be a good teammate. I have to be a good leader. And I also think that the the requirement to initiate lands squarely in my shoulders because of that. Because, um, because even if the team is a losing team, isn't as good, a good leader can make that team better. Mm-hmm. So, so I have the chance to always make my team, to, to be the thing that makes my team a winning team. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I feel like it's my responsibility that I have to sort of initiate. Sure. So so that kind of brings up the question for me, because this is like a really big topic in, um, I don't know what to call it, like female literature, I guess, not literature, but, um, well, maybe literature. Anyway, um, is, so, so what happens when you, as a, I'm trying to figure out how to form this question. So, what happens if, as a wife, my husband is not leading um, and I want him to lead? Because it's kind of going back to the whole, um, you know, you can't really tell somebody what to do. Like, I, I just don't think, you know, it's probably not going to work if I come to you and I say, you're just really not leading. And not even if I'm like, not even if I'm like mean, like not even like you suck, you're sucking at leading. But like, you know, you're not leading this family. I would like you to step up. Like, I just, I don't feel like that would go over well. Um, so do you have any advice for women that um, are, are kind of in this position where, you know, they, maybe they're the stronger temperament of the, the two or the more powerful temperament um, of the two? Um, do you have any advice for what they could do to encourage their husbands to step up or to inspire their husbands to lead? You have any thoughts on that topic? Yeah, so so a couple. I mean, there, there are a couple of layers. So so the first thing is, I think, one, just like take a minute and acknowledge that that's like a really hard situation. Sure, absolutely. Like, absolutely a really hard situation, right? So, so just a, a moment of acknowledgement of that's, that is a really hard place to be when, you know, when you're on a, even if just on a team, right? When you're on a team and somebody's not really playing as hard as they could. 
you know? And maybe they're not playing as hard as they could, you know, not because they're just choosing to opt out. Maybe they're not as fit. Maybe they're not as well-suited. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're distracted. Maybe they're, who knows, right? So there's a lot of reasons why maybe somebody isn't playing the game as hard as they could or as hard as you'd like them to or as hard as you think they could, right? So, so that's a super hard situation. I think the other, another thing that I think I'll kind of hit like just first is I don't necessarily believe that, um, that like reds are leaders and blues aren't or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or that whites aren't leaders or that yellows aren't leaders or that... Coming back to the color code, Coming, right? coming back yeah. to like the temperament thing or that cholerics, if, if the woman in a relationship is a cleric and the man is a sanguine, that the cleric is going to lead, right? Sure. I also am not necessarily saying that what it, like, that it doesn't, that it looks a certain way, right? Because it might be, if that were the, the people, the right thing to do might be that like, that, you know the woman take advantage of her cholericness and and the right thing would always be for her to be more of that and however it manifests itself. So it's not necessarily that like, I guess what I'm talking about is I feel like there's just like, before we kind of like dive into this piece, I want to make sure that it's like super clear that like what leading means, it doesn't mean like marching around and barking orders. It doesn't necessarily mean even being in the front. You know, another one of those. That's kind of interesting. Can you like another one so, of those? Because uh, that's immediately what I think of. If yeah, so in extreme ownership, I guess we're gonna have to really link to this book because like yeah. for some reason it's like all up in my brain right now. Yeah. Even though I hadn't read it in a while, but one of the like most profound things for Tim to learn out of that book was he talked about um, when they learn to clear a building, which means like look in every room and make sure that there's no bad guys. They sort of stack in a line. Mm-hmm. And there's seals in the front of the line, the middle of the line, the back of the line. Okay. And the leader of the team is anywhere they want to be in that line. They can, okay. they can pick their order. And he said what happens is, it's like early on in the, in the SEAL training, what tends to happen is one of two things. Either the leader's really enthusiastic and wants to like run to the front. Or they want to take in all the data and they hang to the back. And the problem with going into the front is that they're the first one in every door, which means they're occupied looking for bad guys, not thinking about what their other SEALs are doing. Mm. They're so preoccupied with doing the thing mm-hmm. that they can't take into their brain, let alone make a decision where all the other people are. Mm-hmm. They're not leading then. They're in the front. They are the line leader, mm-hmm. but they are not leading their other SEALs right. because all they're doing is squashing the task at hand. They're not directing their other SEALs. That's interesting. He says, so what happens with the other cases if you're in the very back? In theory, you'd be able to see what's going on, but things are happening so quickly and things start to get loud and there starts to be what he calls the fog of war, like noises and sounds and literal like dust and literal fog and things to where all of a sudden half of your SEAL team is so far ahead of you making decisions that they need to make on their own that you don't have any ability to influence them. So you're no longer leading. You're no longer coordinating your team. Hmm. He said the right place is somewhere in the middle, hmm. moving forward and back in the, in the stack as you need to so that you have the optimum vantage point and the optimum ability to control or to lead, not control, but to lead the majority of your team. Mm-hmm. You have to be in a position where you, can, where you can take in all the data, all the things that are going on around you, and communicate. So, so why am I telling that story? Because I think sometimes being a leader, using quotes that no one can see, Using their quotes, being a leader sounds like or looks like wanting to be out front. 
but the right place is somewhere in the middle. Hmm. And I think people of all temperaments can play in the middle. Hmm. And so, so what, what it actually looks like, I think looks different. And I think it's, a, it's it looks different based on a, based on the complement, the complementary skills of the temperaments that are within the couple. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other skills, right? Like if somebody's actually really good at something or another thing, what the actual looks like, but what I think is important when it comes to like the leadership I'm talking about is, is like the initiation, the creation of priorities. So like the, like faith in a family is important. And regardless of if I'm, regardless of how I do it, if like you decided that church wasn't important anymore, I have to figure out how to influence you. I have to hold that line. It might be, I'm a cleric, so I have a way of doing it, right? But if I weren't a cleric, I could still have a way of doing it. But so, I have to figure out how to, and I don't have all the answers to that. So there's not, I'm not so going to So does that change like a, whether you're the husband or the wife? Yeah. So I think you asked me the question about like, you know, like what if you're a, a wife whose husband isn't leading, right? Sure. So I'm just kind of describing what leading means because okay. I think leading to me is, is taking that initiative. So how do you get somebody kind of back to the question not necessarily about Exodus 90 or whatever program like that, but just in general, like, how do you, I think the question is really like, how do you get, how do you influence somebody? Right. Yeah. How do you influence somebody? Because I think we've established that you just can't tell them what to do. Yeah. Because right. I think that's probably not going to work. You know, right. like I think, um, I don't think that works with anybody. I think the moment that you start telling someone what to do, they don't want to do it. Even if it's good, even if it's right. The moment that you, like, we all have that three-year-old in us that's like, no, I don't want to. Yeah, and I think it looks different, right? Because, like, like my red is going to argue with you. Sure. Your blue, I'm I'm probably going to get lots of, like, letters about this. But your blue is going to cry and make me feel bad. Oh, actually, I was going to say it was, um, it would probably be passive-aggressive. Yeah, maybe. Or, or like, I'm just going to quietly, like, not do the thing. Like, I won't talk to you about it, but I just won't do it. Yeah, well, and that, that sounds actually maybe like some of your white expressing. Cause, oh, maybe. So whites would tend to be, like, silently stubborn, right? I don't know why I'm using color codes instead of temperaments tonight, but whatever. Um, <laughs> white is... Uh, I, I, I think it's probably phlegmatic, closest phlegmatic. to phlegmatic, yeah. And then, you know, I think sanguines would probably... Yellows would probably just blow me off and do whatever they want to do anyway. As long as it was fun. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, they wouldn't worry about what I'm doing, but they're just going to go do their thing. They're going to do them. Sure. And they're just going to, but, but no, in no case is me telling somebody to do something and then just going to sit back and go, you know what? Right. <laughs> you said I should do that. So I think I'm just, I'm just going to do that wholeheartedly. You know what? Yeah. Rare, rare. Right. So how do you influence people? Right. I think it comes down to, um, and it's it's funny because when we first talked about this, it didn't it didn't click in my head, but something just clicked in my head that I think is meaningful. Um, the idea of like, um, wow, that train just <laughs> derailed. Um, well, I was gonna say let's come back to this in a second, or I was I was gonna pull us back later, but since your train derailed. Um, uh, I was I was thinking about. Um, I think at some point we're gonna hit on connectedness um and and although i wouldn't say that so when we are connected um you know we're diving i don't know what other terms to describe like 
you know, when, when all cylinders are firing in our relationship and, and we're, we're good, like there's just a lot more grace in our relationship. And I'm much more in a position to hear what you have to say or what you have to suggest. Um, and so even if it kind of comes across as telling me what to do, because sometimes your red does flare and sometimes you tell me what to do. Sometimes um, is kind, by the way, sometimes. Well, you know, I'm going to be kind. Um, uh, or, or just suggest, you know, this thing would make it your life better or, um, you know, I'm working on a project and you just jump in there, whatever. If we are connected, um, then there's just, I, I'm, I'm in a much more state of grace where I'm, I have the ears to hear what you have to say. Um, whereas, and, and even if it's like not with a nice tone of voice or, or perfect tone of voice, you know, or, or whatever, um, I'm just in a much better place to hear you. But when we're in, in this place of disconnectedness and is that a word? I don't know. Whatever. You used it. I used it. <clears throat> I know what that. it means. Okay. Um, when we're in that state of disconnectedness and, and things are not firing and we're, and we're not, um, you know, just things are kind of a struggle in our relationship, then no matter how nicely you approach me um, or how kindly you say something or, or you know, demure your um, tone of voice or whatever, there's going to be some sort of resistance. There's there's just, I'm just not going to be in a state to really hear what you're saying. In fact, I probably won't even hear what you're actually saying. I'll probably go, well, that was a snippy tone of voice and totally miss the message entirely. Yeah, um, there's actually like a, almost like a little bit of a test that I have like in, in my head. Um, <laughs> I guess we can share this. It's fine. Uh, but it's like when, so sometimes when we're fighting about things and we do fight about things, just not on podcasts. Um, a lot. When we're fighting about things, um, you know, sometimes it's not productive because like we don't understand each other. Sometimes it's not productive because we don't agree. Sometimes it's not productive because we're just being mean to each other. But one of the, and all that stuff is like, it's, it's kind of obvious and, and I know the failure mode. And even though I'm, I'm still do it, it's like, I'm aware of it and I can kind of like diagnose it and think about how to do that better next time. But one of the things that I think is really interesting that I've learned in, in like pretty recent history is Amy will say something about how um, she'll get upset with the way that I'm saying things. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that that's actually, it's like, it's like a code because she's actually not, it's not that like I'm saying things in a harsh way or in a more harsh or direct way than I normally do all the time. There's, it's probably a degree. She's looking at me funny. Mm. You can't see it. It's probably a degree. But, but what I'm realizing is actually whether or not I'm actually doing that, I know that that's like a, that's a hint or a signal that the problem is actually a connection problem because there are plenty of times when we have fights and I use those same tones and she's tolerant of it and we can move past it and we can have a productive conversation. And so when I say that it's not that I'm not doing something different, I'm doing something different than like the normal life, but I'm not doing something different than another conversation that we had that was actually productive. What happened, what the difference is, and it's not Amy's problem to solve. That connection problem is my problem to solve when I need Amy to hear what I'm saying. So if I need Amy to hear what I'm saying, I have to take it upon myself to figure out how to solve the connection problem. So do you feel like it's always the husband's job to fix the connection problem? No, I think it, so. So generally, okay, I'm a marketer, work in business. This is going to like a, a rational place, right? So we're going to take a detour off onto rational land. In my opinion, um, as a marketer, it is... My, if I want to influence someone, 
then the responsibility is on me. Oh, okay. For them to hear what I need them to hear so that they'll do what I ask. So so if I so want something me, from yeah. you mm-hmm. right. and you're telling and you can't get past my tone of voice, mm-hmm. which is code word in Tim land for we're not connected. Right. Then I realize I have to revisit this conversation at another time, but I have to fix the connection first and then I have to still watch my tone, mm-hmm. but I have to fix the connection because even if I come back to you tomorrow and watch my tone, you're going to tell me the exact same thing mm-hmm. because that's code word in our world mm-hmm. for we're not connected I don't really, I can't even have this conversation right now. So so likewise, if you want me, Mm -hmm. if you need something from me and I'm not hearing you for all the reasons that maybe I'm not hearing you and all the codes that you haven't figured out for me, which Mm -hmm. are different, Mm -hmm. the onus is on you to create an environment where I will hear you if if you actually care and want to be heard. Wow, that's making me like think hard now into and and why why Mm -hmm. i went to like the business place the marketplace like that's that's like my whole life is that if i want if i want my boss to do something Mm -hmm. i have to make sure that i can influence him which means that i have to figure out how he needs to be communicated with because he's a good guy and we have a good relationship a good working relationship and i think that generally he thinks i'm smart and wants to do the stuff that i want to tell him to do but if my idea gets shut down and I feel like it's not because it was a bad idea. It's because he didn't hear me. Well, like that's my problem because I don't want my idea to get shut down. So I need to go deal with him in a way that gives my idea the most, the greatest chance to uh, be heard in a way he'll understand so that I'll get what I want, which is I want to go do the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's just like generally in communicating why I think some of this temperament stuff was so powerful to me. Um, and we've actually, you know, yeah, it's got greater reaching than just with you, with like our kids, with other relationships, with work relationships, with all the things. Mm-hmm. Why I think it's powerful is because it gives me a lens to like, if I can sort of peg somebody a color or a different color or a temperament or a different temperament, even though they haven't taken the test, even though I'm not going to get it like spot on all the time, it, it gives me a lens to say, Hey, I should try things in this area because they're more likely to hear them if I go about it this way than if I go about it this way. Mm -hmm. And it gives me a greater chance of being heard because what I was doing before is I was communicating to everyone as if they were my temperament. So I was only hitting the people who happened to be my temperament, which Mm -hmm. is not you. Which is not me. So that was a problem, but it was also a problem in like life and in all of my relationships because the only people who ever had a chance at understanding what I was saying was reds because I was, I was communicating from that point of view. So they were the sure. only people who could possibly understand it, which was my fault. Sure. Made me less effective as a husband, made me less effective as a communicator in general. Which ties directly back into the actual question of how do we influence people, right? So I remember... Well, we're kind of extrapolating that question sure. between the lines. Sure. But that's the question we're going to answer now because right. it's our podcast it's and we can answer podcast. whatever question we want. What? No. I... Hopefully this is the answer to the question. If not, they'll leave another comment and we'll get to do another podcast. Totally cool with it. Hopefully this podcast is still good. But I remember where the train was going. Okay. So if it's okay, because you Go were, nope. I kind of interrupted you a little bit. It's okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, so where the train was going was that scripture that says, always, um, always be willing to give a reason for your hope. Okay. So, so here's the thing. If we think about it this way, I'm... One of my missions as a Christian is to go evangelize the world. Okay. 
go tell all nations, baptize, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, like all nations. Go out to all these people with different points of view, all nations, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's just finish that. Yeah, pe- people with all different backgrounds, <laughs> mm-hmm. people who whose, whose experience I have to connect with or they're not going to hear me. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Could be my spouse who comes from a different place and I have to connect with their experience or they're not going to hear me, right? Right. But, but we have like some some scriptural like ideas of how to do this, right? So I'm, I'm supposed to go to all these different kinds of people and I'm supposed to, to bring them the good news. Mm-hmm. And how am I supposed to do it? I'm, I'm supposed to never be afraid to give the reason for our hope. So when we think about like, how do I influence somebody? How do I tell somebody what to do without telling them what to do? <laughs> Let's just run an example. I feel like right? that's a very cleric way to say that. Right. <laughs> we tell people what I to only, do. I only see the world <laughs> the way that I see the world. So how are we going to tell people what to do without telling them what to do? Right. Here's, you have to create a situation that is inarguable. Okay. So, because if Especially you tell me to do cleric. something, sure. But if you tell me to do something, <laughs> sure. from a cleric point of view, my, I mean, I think they're all going to argue with you, but just some of them are going to be in their heads, some of them are whatever. But like, what I'm mm-hmm. going to immediately do is I'm going to respond and I'm going to, if you ask me to do something and I don't want to do it, I'm going to try to invalidate it. So it has to be something that's inarguable. Well, well, what is inarguable, right? Like if I go and I try to evangelize a non-Christian, what is inarguable? My own experience. Right. Your story. Yeah. Like it, it's me and it happened. Mm-hmm. You can't say it didn't happen. Right. It happened mm-hmm. because I was there. Yeah. And it happened to me and I experienced it. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me I didn't experience it. It is inarguable. Sure. It occurred. So if you think about like, you know, we can just make some examples kind of like in our life or just just, just run some role play. But it's like, you know, like one of the things, um, we'll be transparent on the podcast, right? One of the things that like has been a thing and continues to be a thing in, in our marriage sometimes is you'll tell me, you know, you're really using your phone a lot. I really wish you would put your phone down. And my red says, like, what are you talking about? I, I get hardly no text messages. The only person, and this is all true, the only person I really ever get text messages from, she's making a face, mm-hmm. is Amy. I'm already disagreeing with him. Or, or some work people sometimes, but those are normally not after hours or anything like that. It's normally during the day. Mm-hmm. With some exceptions, which are the things she's keying in, keying in on. Sure. Is, but it, but... From a rational point of view, if I made you a spreadsheet and I showed you how many text messages I get within work hours and how many I don't and who texts me and who doesn't, like a rational argument could be made that I am not on my phone very much. I would say I'd really like to see that spreadsheet, although I'd probably realize that I'm texting you too much and maybe I should stop. So let's not make yeah, that spreadsheet. maybe so. And, and, you know, you can look at my screen time, right? I, I thought that I was an abomination of screen time when I had 10 hours a week of screen time. I would love for people to actually put on the comments of this podcast, like what their screen time stats are. But I started, I told people how embarrassed I was that I would have 10 hours a week of screen time and people would look at me and they were like, really? And I'm like, what do you mean? Is that a lot? And they're like, no, I have like 30 or 40. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, oh, so on your phone, that's screen time. Like well, on my phone. Well, right. Oh. But like, well, yeah, not my computer screen. That's yeah, all day. Okay. But like, no, like, oh, for the record, I have like two, two what hours a week. I think it was three last time. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> I mean, I happen to, to work a marketing You do. Job. But again, you rational. You do. You use it for, for Rational, work. right? Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. to the point of, um, it, so so she says, Tim, 
you're using your phone too much. You're on your phone too much. I wish you would stop using your phone mm-hmm. too much. To which I respond, that's not true. It's not a problem. Is or it isn't a problem, but my response is that's not a problem. Right. I can argue with Amy. Yep. She's now created a world where I can argue with her. Now, especially in our relationship, the choleric, logical thinker and the non-conferent, non-confrontational, non-confrontational, <laughs> emotional thinker. Right. She has just picked a logical battle with the person who will always win a logical battle. So it's rude. probably not going to go well. It's not rude. It's the truth. It's the truth. Always. Always. Extreme. Mm-hmm. Always. People, you need to write in and tell him he's not allowed to use the word always. Always. <laughs> go with ahead. a high probability, I, I will that. likely win <laughs> okay. a rational argument against a blue, right? And not only that, but I smell the fear in the water, so I will take that <laughs> argument head on. It's true, right? So, so how do we create, for me, so Amy's trying to influence me in this case. This is kind of a fun role play because I get to do both sides and I can just watch your faces. <laughs> I know. I, I kind of wish we were recording this. It's good. We should record the video one next time just so that people can see your is faces. Is it inappropriate to add that, that we were talking about fighting at a women's retreat and somebody suggested that you should fight naked? That like when you're having an argument, you should just strip your clothes off. And I was just going to say that would be the woman, the wife's trump card. Like anytime you're having an argument, if you just strip naked, would that be the trump card? Is that inappropriate? Because are we going to get like raided now that we can't? Well, I, I think this podcast is over. I think you just won. <laughs> Continue. So anyway. No, I think you just won. I think we're done. <clears throat> Shush. No. So, Continue. So how would you influence me, right? <laughs> no, your brain's derailed. <laughs> so how would you influence me? I think it's about creating an arguable situation. Or you like to use the phrase cognitive dissonance, which I like that phrasing. So, well, so explain where you're going. Well, I was going to have you explain cognitive dissonance because you had to explain it to me. But I don't know where this... <clears throat> Continue. So, so in my head, the, the inarguable starts with your experience. Sure. So if we talk about this phone thing, right? So you're on your phone too much. You're on your phone too much. You're on your phone too much. What is, what is Amy's experience? Amy's experience is... I'm putting words in your mouth. It's kind of okay. weird because you're tell sitting you, right here. I'll tell you if you're wrong. But Amy's experience is, I miss you. I feel disconnected from you. I feel like I have to take care of the kids in the evening by myself. I feel overwhelmed. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. I want you to continue because I'm going to bank some of these so that I have words to communicate like when I want you off your phone. But here's the thing (laughs) is I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. Sure. I feel. And if she says it Mm -hmm. and she's not just like lying to me, which I don't think she does. What? I can't tell her what she feels. Sure. If you feel disconnected from me, then you do. And if I care about you, which I do, and presumably, you know, I think we'll give all the spouses in the listening audience the benefit of the doubt and assume they do, right? Then then that's a problem if you feel disconnected from me. But what you've also done is you've created space for me. To solve that problem however I want to solve it. Okay. So the reason why I argue about the phone thing, especially like in times past, maybe less so today, but is because I felt trapped by that. I felt like like 
I wasn't on my phone a lot and the few times I was was just really, really important and I was making a really good judgment call. I don't know if I was in reality or not, who knows, right? You can't play the tape both ways. But from my point of view, I felt trapped. I felt like I needed to make that, I felt like that was a good decision and I felt like I didn't have another thing to do. Well, when you say, I feel disconnected, well, in my head, I have freedom because if I can engineer a scenario where you feel connected to me, I can be on my phone as much as I want and you don't care. But that's a problem I have to solve mm-hmm. and I have to go do it, mm-hmm. but I can do it however I want. Mm-hmm. You haven't told me what to do. Sure. Not even a little bit. Right. But what you have expressed to me is a problem that I care about because I care about you. Sure. And you've given me space to go solve it. Well, so the fatal flaw of that. So I was listening to um, a podcast the other day. I'm I'm going to tell you it's a Dax Shepard podcast, but um, that is not a recommendation to go listen to this podcast. Um, I, I can't sit here and wholeheartedly say, go listen to this podcast. But anyway, I was listening to this particular episode because he had Brene Brown on, and Brene Brown is a real hot topic right now, at least in my world. Um, and uh, she is a researcher that researches shame and vulnerability and courage and other things. But um, And he was talking about this exact issue, which made me laugh. Um, I was like, see, Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell have the same issues we have. Um, I'm just going to assume that people know who that is. So when uh, he was saying for the first couple years of their marriage, you know, they would be in bed and Kristen would be on her phone. And he kind of approached it the same way. He's like, you know, um, you know, I, what he said, like, she was, you know, you're, what are you doing there? And she's like, I'm doing emails. And he's like, you know, um, you really shouldn't do work in bed. And she basically more or less told him to like, go away, like that she could handle her career and whatever. And, um, and that, so he kind of took that approach for a while and then he kind of switched to, you know, your phone has like this blue light that helps you, or prevents you from sleeping well. And he said for two years, he tried all these different tactics of basically like get off your phone. And, um, and then one day he goes, you know, I'd really like your attention. And she goes, okay. And puts her phone down. And he said it took him two years to get to a place of being vulnerable. Because when you say, I feel, there is this chance of the person saying that they don't care. And that's a really vulnerable, like difficult place to be in. And, but he said, I also, I didn't marry a cruel person. Like, that, you know, she does care about him and that the moment he went into this vulnerable place and really told her where it was coming from, that I just want your attention, she did exactly, you know, what she did and, and she put her phone aside. And, and so I think, one, it's hard to be in that position. It's hard to say, I feel this because it is a vulnerable place, especially when we're disconnected. It's an even, um, it feels even riskier. Um but, and then there's always the chance that you're, you're not going to respond in a nice way, but like, um, but, but yeah. And so I think it, it takes, sometimes it takes courage and depending on kind of where we are and whether or not we're connected or not, like it's, it's harder to verbalize that, but it's also sometimes, I, I don't think I realized that that's really where it was coming from. I think, you know, the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about temperament and, you know, counseling and all the things, um, I better learned how to verbalize the things that I want to verbalize. But, um, I, you know, it wasn't really until recently that I realized that 
that's really what I was trying to communicate. And so, and trying to go back and, and figure out, okay, why is this bothering me so much? And really kind of thinking about not even just the phone, but you know, other, other issues or whatever, and, and trying to get to the root problem, um, of, of it. And then coming from that place of I feel or whatever, because sometimes for me, it's hard to express that. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's, I think that's really a good insight I think that's a really, really powerful color to the whole thing because it does, yeah, it does take courage and it doesn't take courage sometimes. It takes courage every time. Right. And the thing, we just watched the Brene Brown uh, Netflix special. You can see Which I do recommend here. that one. It's good. It's, it, and it's funny because it's as entertaining as it is profound. Yes. She's a hilarious speaker and does a really good job. You know, the, if the content was delivered dry, it would be excellent. Um, but it's also delivered in a humorous way, which is I was extra excellent. Like tears to the first five ten minutes. So. Yeah, so so it's good. So I definitely recommend it. But the one of the things that she talks about, um, kind of like near near nearer to the end, is it's not about like if you're gonna get hurt. It's about right. when. Right. And so, but at the same time, if you know you never swing, you can never hit the ball. Right. But if you do swing, you're gonna miss. And so that's the courage part mm-hmm. because you're going into something where you know there is a 100% guaranteed chance that some part of the time there's going to be hurt there. Yeah. There's going to be. But you have to trust that connecting with that ball and knocking it out of the park will far outweigh what it is. But it doesn't make it less scary. It's still scary. And I think, but the other thing to realize is that a lot of times we think about like our vulnerability stopping us from doing stuff. But I think, um, I actually think the, the proper term for this is attribution bias, but it doesn't matter. But the idea that, um, that we think about our own motivations, but that we assume that somebody else is doing something completely like dry rationally. So like, so I might be afraid to approach you because of my vulnerability. And I might recognize that being vulnerable is hard and give myself a little bit of of a past sometimes when I maybe don't say what I should have said because I'm like, you know, vulnerability is really hard and I do it sometimes and, and just sometimes I just don't. But then I'll look at you and I'm like, why don't you ever speak up? <laughs> like you just should. Right. right. And it's like, I don't consider that whatever I think you ought to have done mm-hmm. was likely vulnerable, which is why you likely don't do it completely consistently all the time the way that I would like for you to do it because sometimes you have the courage to do it and sometimes you just plain don't. Just mm-hmm. like I don't, you know, and I think that's to, to kind of tie the, the thing all together. And I hadn't made this connection until literally just now. Um, but I think that's maybe the connection back to the connectedness. Is it's much easier to be vulnerable when the percentages of connecting with that ball are higher. And I think the percentages go up when we're connected. So when we're connected, you're looking at me, I mixed all my metaphors up together. So when we feel close, uh-huh. it's easier to be vulnerable because the outcome is likely to be better. Sure. It's safer. Yeah. So, and which is a virtuous cycle because well, if we can get in the cycle and you feel comfortable being vulnerable, well, then we're going to be closer and you're going to feel more comfortable being vulnerable and then we're going to get closer right. and it spins the other way. And I think at some point, the way that you, when it, and it, it does for us too. It's not like we have it figured out and it's only spinning the right way. It spins the wrong way for sure. It's part of the reason, candidly, why this podcast took so long. We, we took a swing at it the other day and it didn't work. Um, but one of the 
but what I think it takes to take the flywheel from spinning backwards to spinning forwards again. That's the reason I gave you the face. I was going to... It's courage. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Somebody has to make the move. That's really hard. Can we just like acknowledge that for a second? Well, it is because it's like, I don't think anyone thinks that courage is something that we come by lightly. I mean, think about like Braveheart, right? Like, like we, we look at these things like Braveheart and like running into battle and stuff. And we think about that being courageous. The face I'm giving you right now is because I'm like, wait, have you actually seen the movie Braveheart? No, but nobody has to have seen Braveheart to know. Okay. The, the... I, I just got confused because you made a movie reference. Continue. Hey, it's in a lot of guy books. Oh, that's true. I've seen it in context a lot. In case you're a new listener or new to knowing me and Tim, the m- amount of movies that Tim has watched total ever is is maybe less than like 30. Well, it's a lot now that they're kid movies, but it doesn't matter. So, anyway. But the idea of like running into battle and like heading it face on or like, or like a firefighter like running into a building or sure. like, you know, a mother running back to save their children or like you think about like, like when you think about courage, you think about epic stuff. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Just because it's an emotional thing, I don't think means that it's less epic. Well, I think, uh, absolutely. Um, I'm reading Brene Brown's book right now. Like I said, I'm kind of on a Brene Brown kick, but um, her book about shame, I can't remember the title. Um, I'll link to it. Uh, she talks, I thought it was just me, but it isn't. Thank you. Um, she talks about the definition of courage as, as the old, you know, we've kind of, it's gotten mixed into modern definitions with like bravery and things like that. But the, the old definition of courage, it like the, the root of the word comes from the word, I'm going to say it wrong. It's like cur and means heart. And basically courage was like telling the, the truth of your heart. And so that makes a lot of sense when you're in marriage, like in marriage and like how much courage it takes to be vulnerable and how, and and like you said, like we think of courage as like these, you know, epic, brave uh, things, but that um, it's it's kind of on a smaller epic scale. <laughs> Maybe that's... <laughs> um, I don't think it's smaller. I think it just looks different. Yeah. I heard something the other day, um, and I'm, I'm kind of happy to sort of like end it here pretty soon, but, it, it, you know, give you some space if you want to add something to footnote it. But I, I heard something the other day that I thought was like really simple, but also like a little bit wild and it made me think about something different. But it was like, they were talking about how you hear a lot, like I'd be willing to die for something. Like, I don't know exactly what I would do, you know, who knows, but I feel like I'd be likely willing to die for my faith, be likely willing to die for my kids or for you or something like that. But what are we willing to live for? Oh, well. I think that's a profound thing to think about and I think and I, and I, the reason why it, it clicked in my brain is because I think it's a courage conversation like I have I have the courage to you know risk myself to save my children in a moment mm-hmm. but do I have the courage to wake up and be vulnerable with you or say I'm sorry or Whatever the thing is, every day, you know, because wow. every day to make what, like, what am I willing to live for? What am I willing to wake, make my life around, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the paper, the paper answer, the answer on paper would be um, likely all those same things. But I think the, the courage of conviction is much greater to say that, like, I'm willing to live for 
You know, I'm willing to wake up every day and run into the burning building of emotions and crazy to go save it. Was that supposed to be a metaphor for me? No, it's emotions and crazy. (laughs) No, I I think there's just general (laughs) like life crazy, you know? Yeah. And, And I think it's, I think some of it comes from the outside. I think some of it comes from the inside, but it's the same way as like a dangerous situation. Like no, you know, most people don't like set the building on fire on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It's like stuff happens that's sort of out of your control, maybe was in your control, but sort of loosely, maybe you could have done something, but you didn't and you made a mistake or you were, you know, you weren't paying attention or you were just tired or some, something happened, right? Right. That was sort of, maybe it was in your control, but kind of not, mm-hmm. but then you got to go fix it. You got to go run in there and go get it. Yeah. You know, and that's something you can make a choice to go do. But it's a courageous choice. It's a hard choice. And it's a hard choice every every time. Absolutely. And it's a hard choice no matter if you're doing it or if I'm doing it. And and a lot of times it kind of requires both. It requires me to be courageous and you also to be courageous kind of like sort of at the same time to make it happen. And that's even harder, right? So I think it's, to your point, I think it's a big it's a big thing, but I also think it's it's kind of an inspiring thing, right? Because like, you know, what guy doesn't want to be Braveheart, right? Like in and yeah. run into battle. And so it's like In a skirt. Yeah, run into battle in a skirt. Like let's go do it. Uh, I just had two points I wanted to add. So um living in the arena is something that Brene Brown talks about in her Netflix special. Um and it and when she was the first time I watched it, because I am a nerd, I rewatched it and took notes. Um when you were out of town. Um, she talked about living in the arena and, um, and that, you know, when you live your life in the arena, like you're going to get your butt whooped. I was going to say another word. Um, and safe for the whole family. Safe for the whole family. Um, and that, uh, oh, you just made the train derail. Um, when you live in the arena. So, well, I was thinking about, you know, there's things that I want to do in my life and, and, um, and that. I, I guess I sort of was thinking about the arena of life, like as sort of um, outward things, like n- not our family, not our marriage, just um, the goal, life goals I have, and things I want to conquer and stuff like that. Um, but really, just recently, I started thinking about like being in the marriage arena, um, and how, like, like you said, you know, when you're vulnerable or um, you're. Your or your baseball metaphor, which I think is a little funny, but um, you know, if you swing, if you never swing, like you're you're never gonna miss, but you're also never gonna hit. Um, and and so I just recently I started thinking about the arena of marriage and how um, that sort of has been my goal. Just like recently, is to like live in the arena. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, early on when we were first married, there. Um, whenever we had disagreements or the word we like to use now is collisions, um, whenever we would collide, um, I'd sort of go into this like introverted melancholic space of, I just need space from you. Um, and I need like time and time away from you to think and, and not that, you know, but it would be days. It wouldn't be like, I just need 20 minutes to calm down. It was like, I need to, you know, be away from you. Um, and so for me living in the arena is like, is sometimes as simple as just staying in the room in the middle of a collision and not walking away from you or not calling names or not saying things to hurt you um, in the middle of a fight, like, and and staying present and being willing to fight the battle in that moment for our marriage. Um, And, but it's really hard. And, um, but like, 
but it's also been really inspiring to kind of think of that way that like I choose every day to wake up and I choose to be in this arena with you and I choose to fight for our marriage every day. And so that was point number one. Now I'm getting all emotional. Um, and then the other point I wanted to say is since we were talking about like influencing people, um, one thing we didn't touch on was, was praying for your spouse. And so um, I think before, especially if you're, if you kind of wish some things were different between you and your spouse, like, like praying for them is the first place you should go. And there, and there have been, and somewhat of living in the arena has been, there have been a few collisions or arguments that we've been literally in the middle of, and we are just butting heads and there's just no understanding going on. There's just, we're just missing each other. And I've literally stopped us and said, we're going to pray. I just pray for like intercession of the Holy Spirit because we are two people who are very, very, very different. Very, very, very different. And sometimes you just need the Holy Spirit to intercede and like and draw on that grace of, of marriage and stuff. And so, um, which is also like a really vulnerable place to be to be like, hey, can we just put this, um, you know, pause and like where I'm just going to pray for us. Because um, I see that as kind of vulnerable as well. But um, and so just you know, like before you step into the arena each day in your marriage, like pray for your spouse and, um, and, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the encouragement is just to do it because I think, you know, I think the arena is like a, a cooler metaphor than the baseball stadium. Because (laughs) if you think about like, you know, vulnerability and the risk and everything like that, and I don't know what arena she's talking about, but in my head, it's like the gladiator arena in ancient Mm -hmm. Rome. And like, even if you win, you're coming out with some bumps and some bruises and some scars. Yeah. You know, because it's it's a fight. But it's worth it, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's the key. And I think, I think like that, back to that idea, like what are you willing to live for? Like what are you willing to like fight every day for? Yeah. You know, and it's like, and it's really inspiring to wake up and think about like you guys. Like mm-hmm. there's a great sense of purpose. And, and, you know, I'm not waiting for some horrible thing to happen where I have to like, you know, sacrifice my life for you guys. It's like, what if I just like give it to you guys every day, you know? And it's like a really inspiring thing. And so I think regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether you're the husband or the wife or where we started or, or things like that, it's like I think waking up with that sense of purpose and the idea that I'm I'm going in the arena every day and I'm going to swing. And when I miss, I'm just going to swing some more, you know? And like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get overly, overly down on myself about the misses because I'm playing the game. You know, and I'm not going to let people who don't play get in my ear about all the stuff. It's like, no, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing the game and it's messy. The game is going to be messy. Mm-hmm. But if I got a chance at winning, I got to play or else I'm just resigned to sitting on the sidelines and, you know, nobody in the stands wins any games. And so you got to play. And so I think, um, you know, it's it's messy for us. I think that's one of the things that I think about this podcast and that I hope it does out in the world one day when, you know, some people listen to it. But I think the, I think what I hope it does is it, it just creates some okayness about the messiness. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't, I think sometimes the picture that gets painted is just a very clean picture mm-hmm. and it's just not, it's not yeah. for anybody. Right. And, and all the mess is different mess and sure. it's different mess depend, you know, it's different mess even for us, depending on our season and what we're doing and what we've learned and, and all these things, but it's, but it is a, it is a mess. It is messy nonetheless, right? But it's our mess and we like our mess. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a mess. And I, I hope that other people just feel a little bit of comfort in knowing that, like, they're not the only mess, right? Right, like, for sure. I, I don't know of any marriages that aren't messes, um, ours included. And so yeah. we're just trying to love the mess. Yeah, I think that's it. Well, so much for shorter podcasts. Sorry, not sorry. How long was that one? I don't know, like hour and ten. Oh, jeez. So, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. That's a wrap. That's a wrap.